0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. Overcast start here in Melbourne as we get ready for semi-final day in the women's at the Australian Open. And the men's semi-finalists were finalised last night. It's already been a big start to the day, hasn't it? Well done to Kane and Sam on breakfast. The breaking news from Tom Morris. If you're just joining us this morning, uh, Channel 9's Tom Morris is the fact that Simon Lethleen will depart as St Kilda CEO effective immediately. So we'll uh, follow that story as the morning goes on. But huge day. Started of the second test up at the Gabba today, the day-night test. So join Jared Waitley, Damien Fleming, Ian Healy and the team for every ball. The Brisbane day-night test live from the Gabba today, 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, before that, uh, 12 to 2, Sam Hargraves will take you through the build-up uh, and then we'll cross over to the boys at the Gabba, and as we said, it's a semi-final day for the women at the Australian Open. But last night, BBL final, over 43,000 fans at the SCG, all would have gone there expecting the Sixers to win, uh, given they defeated the Heat up on the Gold Coast just five days prior. But in the end, it was all about the Brisbane Heat.
1: Five men on the ropes as Brown stands and swats at this one. It'll be big enough to go over all of them. And it's six from Josh Brown. As Brown takes a step up the pitch and slams it through the covers for four. Yep. Brown gets 50 off 32. Edwards comes in full of pitch delivery. Matt say, Renshaw has absolutely sent this over Cow Corner and over the boundary for six. Perfect conditions. Thick edge, and the first wicket falls. What a ripper from Michael Good Nisa. They got a slip in place. Great catch, and from it's Matt, Matt Renshaw. Renshaw. In comes Johnson. Left arm over the wicket, straight through, knocked him over. Or he gets out. Edwards goes. Johnson delivers. Philippi, 23 off 21 deliveries, has hit it into the air. This will be end of Josh Philippi. The third wicket falls. A big breakthrough comes in. And Stand and it. deliver from Moses Enriquez but it's gone right up in the air and the skipper is gone. Caught. The heat is celebrating. He's now moved to 16. Oh, hang on. He's given that a ginormous a catch. roost but it's gone straight up in the air. A oh, really good catch. Martin what an effort On the What rope. is he on the field? Still four balls to come in this over. He's got it. goes for the slog and he's out. The Brisbane Heat win BBL 13 convincingly at the SCG.
0: 54 run victory. There's all the action on BBL Nation with Matty White and Doug Bollinger. So, after the challenger the other night, it was all about Josh Brown. He did the job again last night, uh, top scoring for the Heat with 53 off 38 balls. But the story of the night was Spencer Johnson. What an 18 months. This, uh, no, well, 28, I was going to say young man, still young, but uh, 28-year-old has had 18 months ago. He didn't know where his cricket was going. He was working as a landscape gardener and a green keeper. Made his debut for the Brisbane Heat just over 12 months ago on Jan 11. Since then, the Heat have won 15 of 21 matches. They're on bottom bottom of the table when he arrived. He's made his name for himself. He's made his first-class debut. He's made his debut for Australia in the one-day game, and he's in the squad for the upcoming series against the West Indies. He's played in the 100 over in the UK. He's gone to the IPL for 1.7 million dollars, and now he's been player of the match in a BBL final. He caught up with Megan Barnard on Fox Cricket last night, and uh, you could pretty much work out straight away how much it meant to him.
2: Unbelievable! Um, I heard the Brisbane Heat everything um, coming up here last year. Um, didn't know where my career was going, and now just won a big bash with eleven of my closest mates. So it's pretty cool. Take us inside that winning and all the way to go. What was the conversations in there? Uh, yeah, there's lots of emotions. I Always great to soccer, so had an unbelievable career. Um, he's been he's owned this this stadium. So um, yeah. went to him first, but then yeah, we're going to enjoy this one tonight you got it done in the end? Uh, not really, no. The credit to the batters, Brownie again, um, got us a, a total that we can defend, and uh, we we're, were the best team in the year, so I think we deserve to, to have the medal around our neck, but um, yeah, this is pretty cool. Credit to yeah. you, four wickets in that important bowl as well, what does it mean to contribute in such a way in a final? Yeah, it's always nice, uh, first first over probably didn't go the way I wanted to, but um, to, to get a couple of wickets and win, it's, it's pretty special. so saw a bit more emotion from you tonight than we normally do. What was that about? Uh, I don't know. I guess, as I said before, 12 months ago, wasn't in this position. Um, and I think the, the Brisbane Heat have changed my life. So um, it's pretty special. I'm so proud of you. Well done. Enjoy this moment. Thank you. Cheers.
0: What a performance. Four for twenty-six for Spencer Johnson as they knocked over the Sixers for 112. Renshaw 40 not out of, uh, 40 not out of 22 as well was important for the Sixers. Abbott four for 32 on Reeks 25. Philip Philippi 23 as they fell. 54 runs short. So well under the Brisbane Heat. Their second BBL title. The first one they upset Perth uh, in Perth. And last night, another ep- upset defeating the Sixers. In Sydney, as we say, the tennis, it's the semifinal in the women, the women's semi-finals today. We'll talk to Brett Phillips later in the show to get a preview of that. But in the men's, the dream final, the big showdown everyone thought was going to happen given uh, Carlos Al- Alcaraz's form in the lead up. We know Novak Djokovic is through to the semifinals, but it's not going to happen after Alexander Zverev upset him in four sets last night 6-1 6-3 Alcaraz fought back from a breakdown to win the third set in a tiebreak 7-6 uh, but the big German bounced back in the in the fourth set to win 6-4 to set up a semi-final with Daniel Medvedev
2: I'm just super happy to to be in the semi-finals and
3: super excited um, and being able to to play these kind of matches again and being able to compete against these
2: kind of players I'm I'm just uh, to be honest I'm I'm just happy about that Obviously, extremely happy to be back where where I am and winning these kind of matches, and um, you know, giving myself the chance again because you know last year, uh, for the first part of the season or
3: actually th- throughout the year, I was I was I wasn't a slam contender, I wasn't a contender to
2: to win tournaments like that. So um, if I am now, I'm I'm very happy about that. General, I think I did a pretty good tournament. Uh, you know, I played uh, great. Great matches, and uh, obviously a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam is uh, is good. It's not what I'm looking for, but uh, it's it's not bad, you know. <laughs> quarterfinal is a uh, is a good run. But um, as I said, uh, with the level that I that I was playing before uh, coming into this uh, into this match with a, a lot of confidence, knowing that uh, I'm uh, playing a good tennis, it's uh, it's. Uh, it's the same uh, that I started uh, the match like like the way that I did and and ending the, the way that I did. So but
0: so men's semifinals tomorrow, Novak Djokovic versus Yannick Sinner, and Alexander Zverev versus Daniel Medvedev. Today in the women's semifinals, uh, big match this one, isn't it? Coco Goff versus Irina Sabalenka, the defending champion. And then uh, two of the surprise pack. It's not so much Zheng, given she was the 12th seed, but Diana Yastrzemska. The world number 93, the qualifier, first qualifier through to the semi finals at the Australian Open for 46 years, uh, will be in action later today for a place in the Australian Open final for the women on Saturday night. On our McCafe menu today, huge show, plenty of golf. Kari Webb's going to join us in about 20 minutes' time. She's playing in the Vic Open again, she turns 50. Uh, later this year, and she wants to play some more tournament golf. So i have a good chat to Kari Webb. Steve Kuyper will also join us uh, from golf, Australian Golf Digest magazine later in the show. A big week uh, in golf with Nick Dunlap, the amateur winning, Lucas Herbert going to live, uh, and the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pine gets underway uh, tomorrow. It's been a very successful tournament uh, for the Australians uh, over the years. So we'll chat to Steve About that, Brett Phillips, of course, to chat the tennis. Taylor Fraser from the Melbourne Mavericks will join us. Uh, The pre-season competition, a trophy tour, uh, has been announced. So Taylor Fraser has joined from the Swifts, where she won a couple of premierships. So we'll have a good chat to her about everything that's happening at the Melbourne Mavericks. And Brendan Gale's going to join us, uh, the Richmond CEO. The Tigers have launched the Punt Road Classic, which is going to be a goal-kicking competition Uh, involving everyone on the Richmond list. And you can get involved, Richmond fans, if you just get to the the Richmond website. We'll give you further details when Brendan joins us. But basically, one Richmond fan is going to win $10,000. So one lucky fan will be drawn uh, alongside a player. And uh, if your player wins that gold kinking competition, $10,000 will go into your pocket. So Brendan Gale will join us after ten to discuss that. So I was just keen to get your thoughts with your club. If there was a goal-kicking competition at your club, I want to know the current player and the former player you'd like to be on. Who would you trust? Let's just assume it's 40 metres out directly in front with a kick for your life or a kick for 10 grand. Which current player at your club or which former player at your club would you most trust? Give us a call, 1300 736 736 40 Wings Temper, 0433 98 1116. Temper, a mattress like no other. And all that's coming up on our cafe menu, our official coffee partner. And don't forget, the Aussie Angus Deluxe is back at. Maccas. Uh, Also, just a couple other scores this morning. uh, The League Cup uh, final has been decided over in England. So Chelsea smashed Middlesbrough yesterday. uh, They're through to the final and they'll be joined by Liverpool. After a one-all draw with Fulham this morning, they go through 3-2 on aggregate. So two of the heavyweights in English football will play off for the League Cup next month. It'll be Liverpool v Chelsea at Wembley and uh, FA Cup Uh, Gets underway this weekend, the fourth round. The big tie is Manchester City versus Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Some calls coming through now. We want them on. uh, So we're going to talk to Brennan Gale about the Punt Road Classic. If your club is doing the same thing, which current player and former player would you like to be on? Uh, Big Saints man, of course, St. Paul joins me. St. Paul, who have you got?
1: Good morning, Charles. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good,
0: buddy. How are you?
3: Excellent, thank you. Uh, yeah, so Mason Wood, uh, current day. Uh, he's a beautiful left foot uh, shot at goal. Yep. And yesteryear, there's actually two for me. Plugger is one. And Jason Heatley.
4: So. Oh,
0: yes, he was a good kick. Heatley.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that would be my nomination.
0: Very nice, St. Paul. So over his career, uh, Mason Wood, 111 goals, 87. Uh, last year he kicked 15-11 for the Saints. Let's get to Matty on the road who might have a nomination from the Pies. Hello, Matt. There
5: you guys? yours, hey,
0: mate? I'm well, mate. How are you? Yeah,
5: I'm good. Uh, just give the ball to number 22, mate, and it's all
0: over. <laughs> well, in the grand final, he was pretty handy. No, yeah,
3: he's not bad. You could even put him on his left foot. I reckon he'd still be better than half the place in the
0: league. No, not bad. Have you got a pie from the past that you'd be uh, you're trusting? Oh,
1: uh, for a shot at goal,
0: um, Glenn Freeborn was pretty good. Glenn Freeborn, yeah, he was a nice kick. Had a, a decent quarter for the Kangaroos in a grand final as well. Uh, back I don't in know the why
6: da- he came to
0: mind. <laughs> ah, well, that's okay. We like the random one. So yeah, over his career, still side bottom, 190 goals, uh, 28, 128 behind. So that's pretty good. He four goals, two last year, 12 goals, seven the year before. So not a big goal kicker anymore, but uh, his best in the season was 25 back in 2011. But yeah, I'd be pretty happy if uh, still side bottom um, was lining up for me. Uh, let's get to Richard, uh, who might have one for us as well. G'day, Richard.
3: How are you, mate? I'm good,
0: mate. Yeah, How good. are you? Yeah, yeah good. Sorry. I, I, you
3: know what? I, I listened to... Um, <laughs> Uh, Dwayne every day, and I, I, I promised I wouldn't do that. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I would go with Ben Brown from Melbourne.
0: Yeah, pretty good, Benny. I uh, agree. Pretty accurate over the journey, uh, Benny Brown. That's a good nomination. Are you a Melbourne man, Richard?
3: I am a Melbourne man. The other one I would go with would be Bailey French.
0: So. Yes. Yeah, he's pretty good. He is pretty good. Thanks for your call, Richard. To other callers, hang on. We've got to get to a break because Kari Webb's going to join us a little bit earlier than expected, which is fantastic. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on right now. So, Kari Webb, not too far away. Let's get to Johnny in Port Augusta, who might have uh, someone he trusts at Port for a shot from 40 metres out directly in front. G'day, Johnny.
7: Well, Julian,
3: um, I'm just thinking should uh, yes. for I probably yeah. 80
0: <laughs> yeah, no, well, he could thump it. No doubt about that. And, and Monday, Monday Kane Farrell,
6: and uh, just one real quick trivia question.
0: Mm, yep.
3: What uh, What has Ray um, Bramley done that no other SRFL, VFL, AFL player ever done?
0: Good question. Hit me. I don't know.
6: Played first-class career for both. South Australia, Victoria.
0: Very good, Johnny. Very, very good. Uh, Good nomination as well. Uh, Kane Farrell from Port Adelaide. Uh, What's he kicked over his career? 40 goals, 26 behind. So that's uh, not bad. I think Kari Webb uh, is on the line now, the superstar. So the Vic Open uh, returns to 13th Beach next week. It's a great tournament on a great golf course. And uh, the seven-time major winner, Kari Webb, will be teeing it up after playing in the tournament last year. Hello, Kari.
5: Hi Gilles. how are you
0: very well I uh, hope you're well as well it's pretty easy decision as we say it's a, it's a great tournament the Vic open and uh, the 13th beach is a, a fantastic layout as well.
5: Yeah I'm really looking forward to getting back down there. Um, I've always enjoyed the Vic open and, and playing at 13th beach the, the local community really get behind the event and you know I think uh, the, the Vic open was the, the start of, of the men and women playing together um, the trend that sort of that caught on all, all over the world.
0: Is that a trend you you like, and you you can see it's going to happen more and more?
5: Yeah, I I, I definitely like it. I think it's um it's not for every week. I think it's hard to find venues like Thirteenth Beach that have thirty six holes, um right there at the club. Um, but um you know I I think it it definitely has its niche in golf and it has created um a little bit more interest where um it might not have otherwise.
0: You've got a lot on in golf at the moment, but what about playing this year? What's the plans in terms of how much you'll play and how much tournament play you will in
5: 2024? Yeah, I don't ever foresee, like, any um, full-time schedule um, ever again. Um, I'm going to play a handful of times this year, um, you know, starting out next week. I haven't played uh, since June of last year in a tournament, so... Um, there'll definitely be some rust. And I actually just landed back here in um, Australia, up in North Queensland yesterday, just in time for a cyclone tonight. So <laughs> um, I don't know how my prep's going to be before I get there next week. Uh, but hopefully the airport's all back up and open on Monday when, I, when I'm supposed to fly back down there.
0: Outside of the tournament play, and as you mentioned, you, you played in the Senior LPGA Championships last year, finished in the top three in the Vic Open last year. But outside the couple of tournaments you played in, how much golf do you get in?
5: Um, well, when I'm back here in um, in North Queensland, I, I play a little bit of club golf at a uh, Townsville golf club and occasionally down at, at the air golf club. Um, and then, uh, back, back in, in Florida, um, I play a little bit there. There's, there's a few LPGA players, um, that live in the area. So, um, if we're all in town at the same time, we always try to, to have a round or two, but competitively, um, yeah, not, not, not. Um, not very often, and, and that's fine with me. You know, I, I ask a lot of myself for 25 years, so um, it's nice not to, to have to, to put that pressure on myself as often anymore.
0: We know you give out the two scholarships each year to two young Australian golfers, and, you know, the past recipients include the likes of Minji Lee and Hannah Green, Sue O, Grace Kim, Karis Davidson, have been some of those uh, previous recipients. You must be super excited about what Minji Lee can do again this year after what she produced in 2023.
5: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, both her and, and, and Greenie, Hannah Green, um, you know, look for them to have um, have big years again. Um, you know, I think uh, Minji earlier in the year sort of went through a little bit of lack of confidence, but um, I think it builds even more confidence in yourself when you're able to pull through that and finish the year off as strongly as she did. So, you know, I look, look for her to, to, to have a really strong year again and and also as with Greenie getting that win earlier in the year, um, you know, I hope uh, hope she can kick on early this year. But I'm also excited for players like Grace Kim, who had a win last year in her rookie year um, on the LPGA. And, um, you know, I think now that she's got that year under her belt, at this time last year she was pretty nervous heading into the year and wondering if, you know, she was good enough to be there yet. Um, so she definitely proved that to herself. And, you know, I just look for her to build from there and, and then Steph Kiriakou is also yep. another player who continues to, to get better and better each year. And I think, you know, she she played well again last year and I think she'll be feeling more comfortable playing on the LPGA as well now.
0: Speaking of seven-time major winner Kari Webb, she'll be teeing it up at the Vic Open next week down at 13th Beach here in Victoria. Tell us about this uh, coaching scholarship that you've introduced.
5: Yeah, um, it's really great to see <clears throat> this this be added um, to to alongside the the playing scholarships um you know i think uh, you know what we are what i'd like to see and i know what golf australia is 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 trying to to improve upon is um uh, you're seeing more more girls and women um in leadership positions um in golf and you know um in, in coaching um we want to we want to grow um the stables of of women coaching in golf but we also want to encourage them to get into the high performance coaching as well and and be the leaders of, of the field in Australia so um, this is sort of just the start of that so you know whoever um, applies and, and is awarded the the coaching scholarship can choose how they use that money but you know it it could be you know shadowing some of the the top coaches here in Australia that you know that work with some of our best players and and um, and and doing um, you know biomechanics um, training and stuff like that.
0: No, that sounds like a fantastic initiative. And what about, uh, some of the the golf course design work you're doing, uh, particularly back home in Townsville?
5: Uh, yeah. Um, well, we've been working on Townsville golf club for a few years now. Um, uh, hoping to finish that up in the next year or so. Um, and we're about to open, um, nine holes at Indropilly golf club in March. So, um, that's been quite a journey, um, at the club there, but uh, we're excited to be opening nine holes there. And, you know, we're actively seeking um, jobs around Australia and, and Southeast Asia. And with the golf boom right now, you know, there's lots of work out there. So, um, yeah, we're just, you know, slowly growing, growing, coming out of COVID and growing the business.
0: What do you enjoy about the golf course design?
5: Um, oh, it's just, you know, it's it's just, for me, it's another aspect of golf that, you know, um, I guess uh, subconsciously I knew a lot about but um, you know, having to, to to do it in the field and um, you know, I'm I'm just learning so so much more about it and I'm just you know, I look at a golf course completely different than I did five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um and uh, you know, it's uh I don't know, it's just it it's something that um not a lot of females are uh, into, so I'd, I'd really like to to get into it if I can. Um, but I just I just love the challenge. It's just another challenge within golf, um, you know, and it, it is something that I do, do have a wide knowledge of. It's just being able to get it on paper.
0: Just got a question off our uh, 40 Wings temper text machine here. Um, just your thoughts on Gabby Ruffles and, and how good Gabby can become.
5: Yeah, actually, that was the one name when I ended that after Steph, that Gabby, I'm really excited for her. Um, this year, um, she's come a long way in, in such a short time and, um, you know, really dominated on the on the Epson tour, which is the tour uh, before the LPGA last year. So, um, you know, I think she'll have a, a few ups and downs, um, you know, with just stepping up to that next level. But she is really ready to step up to that level. And, and um, you know, I see really good things from her um, in the next few years.
0: So when you get out on the course these days in, in tournament play, are you – as competitive as you once were or are you a bit more relaxed about it at this stage of your life and your playing career or is it just you go out there to win and, and you put the high expectations on yourself?
5: Um, oh, there's always expectations. I, I don't think that they're definitely not where they were, um, you know, even six or seven years ago, but, um, you know, I I want to do well. I, I'm not playing, you know, just to make the numbers up in the field. Um So, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of lightning in the bottle to think that that you could win. But um, I definitely still feel like I can be competitive if I can just get out of my own way and, and just play some golf.
0: It's been a seismic 18 to 24 months in the world of golf, everything that's happened with Live Golf. How have you assessed it from afar?
5: yeah it's been it's been quite um tumultuous um you know i haven't really been involved um deeply in it but um you know it's definitely it hasn't been a great message for golf you know um when it's just all been about the money and when when they're, when the guys were already playing for a, a ton of money but um you know I, at this point in time i'm just really sick and tired of talking about mm-hmm. it and i just like whatever the resolution is to be done with so we can all move on and and stop talking about um you know who's who's the new signing with lives
0: yeah i think a lot of people in golf uh, would agree now I know you've only just turned uh, 49 because you're a december baby mm-hmm. but uh
5: yeah
2: it's
0: the big 50 this year what what's planned
5: mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know I've, like you said i've got uh till the end of the year to think about that but um uh, that's why I think I'm going to play a little bit more golf than I, than I have in the past, um, you know, because as the years tick on, I'm, I'm going to be further and further away from from being able to play with the young young players. So, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of been in the back of my mind. You know, if I'm going to play, I should do it sooner rather than later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, you know, I, I know what I used to think of someone who was 49, 50 when I was 25. <laughs> I <guess. laughs> um, but I... I certainly don't feel like I'm, I'm headed towards uh, that number, but, um, yeah, it's only a number. I, I think I'll probably have a, a, a hard hard time saying I'm, I'm 50 for the first couple of times, as I did when I said 49 um, just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, But other than that, I think I'll be all right about it.
0: Yes, you'll be fine. It's just a number, as you say. Akari, always uh, great to chat. We look forward to watching you at the Vic Open next week down at 13th Beach.
5: Thanks, guys. Yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Kari Webb, what a superstar, seven-time major winner. Uh, It's a great tournament uh, down there at 13th Beach and uh, even more reason to get down to watch one of our finest golfers uh, in action. And and we're going to see more this year, which is uh, exciting for everyone that loves the game of golf. That interview brought to you by MEGT. Get a tradeswoman on your team with MEGT, the proud number one ticket holder supporting female tradies and their employers. Visit megt.com.au. Let's get the latest now from the newsroom with Nathan Gardner.
8: I think we all know that, uh, that there's been so many changes in St Kilda over the past 18 months, 24 months, and I reckon there's more to this story. So I'm still digging exactly why and how it's taken place, but um, the official line is it, it is mutual, and uh, Simon and Leslie will depart St Kilda today, and it'll be effective immediately. It's a significant change at this time of the year.
0: I sat next to Caroline Wilson on Footy Classified. It was in July, Tom, and she reported some disharmony between Lethleen and Ross Lyon. At that stage, she said that Lethleen had denied it, but she was hearing strong speculation that the coach and the CEO weren't as aligned as they should have been, which was a concern to her. So clearly there's more to this.
8: Yeah, I mean, my understanding of the situation is that Leslie and Ross Lyon didn't butt heads. They just didn't have much of a relationship. They didn't really cross paths. They didn't really um, work together too closely. Um, So it depends what sort of relationship you want your CEO and coach to have. I think a collaborative one is one where they're constantly talking and constantly negotiating and communicating. That wasn't this relationship. Um, Mm. This is not to say that that they really disliked each other. I just don't think there was much there between the two. And I've got no doubt that Ross Lyon... Um, has put his stamp on the club in a number of ways, hasn't he? I mean, Nick Walsh, was we reported last year, um, the fitness boss departed. Um, Jared Ruffhead and Chris Toshe, two, rec- two recruiters and list management officials have departed. The whole medical team's been cleaned out. Um, this is not to say that Ross has done all of that, but uh, it's no coincidence that as soon as Ross comes in, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people that leave for varying circumstances, and I guess Simon Lefflein's the latest one.
0: That was Channel 9's Tom Morris this morning on with Sam and Kane when the breaking news broke about an hour ago that Simon Lethleen will depart as St Kilda CEO today. So he joined the Saints in 2018 as the general manager of football, then took over as CEO in late 2022. Uh, The club has released a statement saying the board and Lethleen had come to a decision that the demands of the club and the requirements and focuses of the role of the CEO have shifted. And it is now an appropriate time to look for a new leader. Andrew Bassett, uh, the president, thanked Lethleen, but said a new direction was needed. Uh, under Simon's leadership, the club has seen significant improvement on and off the field, including record membership and sponsorship level in the club's 150th year. A top eight finished last season following the implementation of the recommendations of the Football Review. Simon also played a vital role in successfully navigating the club through the COVID pandemic, which included the club returning to finals in 2020, for the first time since 2011. Um, and then it goes on to say, Simon and the board share the view that the CEO would be best place to take, a new CEO would be best placed to take the club forward. Uh, for his part, Lethleen said it's always a privilege to work in football. I've had a great six years at St Kilda. I loved every role from GM of football to C- COO and COO. Um, the club is a new coach and a new strategy. And I've agreed with the president that it is time for the club to seek a new CEO. Carl Delina, the former North Melbourne uh, CEO, will take over in an interim basis as the club looks to appoint a new CEO. St Kilda fans, if you've got any thoughts, 1300 736 736, 40 Wings Temper, 0433 98 Also, cricket fans, Big Bash is done. Pretty good season. The final wasn't great last night, but uh, a couple of great individual performances uh, from some unheralded names. Spencer Johnson, not so much anymore, but Josh Brown, the last two games. Have you got any thoughts on how the BBL should change? If it needs to change uh, for next season, uh, let us know. We're also asking, because Brendan Gale's going to join us after 10. The Punt Road Classic has been launched. It's a goal-kicking competition involving every player on the Richmond list. Every player will, ha- will be playing for a fan. You get involved at the Richmond website. We'll give you more details after 10. But uh, for the if your player wins, 10 grand coming into your pocket. So we're asking the question at your club right now, current player and past player, who would you trust if they were kicking for 10 grand? Let's just say 40 metres out uh, directly in front. We'll take more of your calls on the other side of the break. Got a heap of 40 Winks tempers. Now, Bulldogs fans, just this one uh, caught my eye. Bulldog supporter here, Jules. Hands down, Paul Hudson as a previous player. And from our current players, no one, no faith in anyone at the Western Bulldogs. I think they've got a couple of pretty accurate kicks down there from 40 metres out directly in front. We'll take more of your calls on the other side of the break. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on right now. Welcome back to the show. Uh, someone's pretty happy with the music uh, this morning. Happy with Led Zeppelin. Don't hear that in the mornings. Uh, keep it coming. Okay. Nice work out the back there from Nick and the boys. Ollie's, I don't know if Ollie has anything to do with the music, but we'll give him some praise. Anyway, uh, let's first of all get to uh, Matty in Caulfield. Uh, wants to talk about the tennis last night, I think. G'day, Matt.
7: G'day, Jules. How are
3: you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Great match last night. Just wondering your thoughts. How do you reckon that Craig Carley's thinking about the prospect of ever winning the Australian Open?
0: Because of the uh, court case that he's got coming up, you mean?
3: Yeah, and, like, what will they do? How will they react? to the photo shoot the next day? Will they parade him around everywhere?
0: Uh, I think they will. I think they'll business as usual. I'm assuming they're going by the philosophy that uh, innocent until proven guilty, which is whether you agree with that or not, uh, is is probably fair enough. I think the the more interesting part is, and he's been questioned about this a couple of times, uh, Alexander Zverev in his post-match, it does seem strange that he was recently voted on to the player panel. So effectively, the Players Association on the ATP tour, um, given he's got this court case in May for alleged uh, domestic violence uh, against an ex-girlfriend. It seems weird that they'd make that appointment before that case was heard. But I think in terms of the tournament, uh, if he goes on to win, I think it will be uh, business as usual. Thanks for your call, Matt. Let's get to Colin in Hopper's Crossing, who might have some goal-kicking nominations for us. G'day, Colin. Colin.
9: Good morning, Julian. Yeah, um, when
3: I was a little kid, I back for St Kilda, but I met Peter McKenna, I think, to be a oh.
0: really good kick for goal.
3: And Mark Beautiful. Jackson, I think he was probably one of the best, even at St Kilda. I mean, he wasn't, he was a bit crazy, but when he <laughs> got the ball, he never missed. <laughs> and uh, I think um, Nicky Wimmer on the run was probably underlying um, enough, it's true or not, but just from my mind's eye, he looked terrific when he was uh, kicking for goal.
0: He was pretty good on the run, wasn't he? could kick a pretty good torp too back in the day, old uh, Nicky Winmar. But yeah, Peter McKenna was, he almost sort of revolutionized the drop punt for goal, didn't he? I mean, he had Peter Hudson at the time kicking the the sort of the wobbly punts. But uh, Peter McKenna, from the footage I've seen, was magnificent.
3: Yeah, I oh, know. He was really good. And obviously, Plugger was a great kick for goal. And there's a lot of them. But um, yeah,
8: I don't know. Just um, that's it, really.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Uh, some good nominations there, Colin, from a Saints uh, point of view. Uh, yeah, Nicky Winmar on the run uh, was uh, pretty spectacular. Let's get to Billy in Ascot Vale. He wants to talk about the Big Bash final last night. G'day, Billy.
4: Yeah, morning, Jill. Yeah, look, um, overall, I think the season for me was 50-50. I just don't like the fact that they speak about all their marquee players at the start of the season signing on. And then at the pointy end of the season, they've all gone. to play in some league in Dubai in front of 20 people when they could have played in front of... 40,000 last night. So I think that, that side of it's got to be a bit more fixed up, I think, and a few more Australian players coming back when available would be handy. But overall, yeah, for me, I'd say 50-50 this BBL season.
0: Yeah, I I think it was certainly an improvement. I think that's the number one thing that needs to change uh, for next season. The test schedule will be a little bit different next year, so hopefully we can make this work. And But I think you're right. The fact that the overseas players leave at the business end of the tournament doesn't doesn't help uh, the tournament. I heard Darren Lehman talking about this uh, with Patton Heels yesterday, and he was sort of saying, yeah, even though we had to have, or well, we didn't have to have, but they chose to have a break. They had a few games, and then they over the Perth Test match, uh, they had a week off. Every team had a week off. He said, you didn't have to do that. You could still play two or three games around the Perth Test. You could even have a couple of games at the Wacker, uh, as he suggested, and therefore, you know, you can squeeze the tournament even further. So, yeah, it'd be great to see a way that we can do it. The overseas players play. We can get the Australian Test Stars involved more. Now, whether that can happen, are these T20 leagues around the world really going to all work together to try and help each other out? Probably not because it's competitive. They want the best players and uh, they will play when they want to uh, to get those best players. But, yeah, let's just hope next year we don't have the internationals leaving pretty much as the final starting because I don't think it helps the competition. Uh, thanks for your call, Billy. Uh, one off the temper text here. The BBL final was awesome last night. Best team of the season one, despite having to do the, the long way to get to the final. I think mean, that's fair. They probably were the best team, the most consistent team of the season, uh, the Brisbane heat. Let's get to Frank in one Turner. Who's got uh semester nominations for us. I reckon. G'day Frank.
4: G'day, Jules. I, um, you, you can't you can't go past Peter right outside uh, forty or fifty metres, mate. He's dead eye, damn. Yeah,
0: he's pretty good. What, it, what about uh, what about coming through pretty strongly? What about Kyle Langford from forty out directly in front?
4: Yeah, he's pretty good too. He's he's good close close in too. So you know, I'd certainly nominate him. But uh, in the past, I think uh, we'd have to look at um, John Coleman. Uh, I know we we'd probably have to look closer at his stats, but he uh, in his early seasons, uh, mate, he was just um, amazing. And um, you know, um, even a, a bloke like um, Simon Madden wasn't a bad kick for goal either outside, because he used to play centre half forward quite a bit, and uh, he used to kick quite quite a bag of goals too. You know, five or six goals a game, and, and for a ruckman, that was pretty good, pretty good going. You know, so um, and that's why he's one of the leading goal kickers at Essendon. You know, so but um, no, there's certainly some uh, great goal kickers uh, in the past from Essendon. I mean, I'd like to nominate Lloydy, but. Loyalty was great in his early years, but towards the end he got a little bit wayward uh, with some of his kicking. But uh, certainly early on in uh, that year, he he, he topped a hundred. Um, he certainly was right on the ball, you know. So to nominate he, Yeah, it's
6: pretty
4: good, good, wasn't he? Nine hundred and twenty-six goals,
0: four hundred and twenty-four behind. So one hundred and nine sixty in two thousand two thousand and one, he kicked a hundred and five goals, thirty-six behind. That is. Deadly accurate. Uh, Well, he kicked 62 16 in his second uh, last year there, Frank. That's pretty accurate. 35 27 uh, in 2009. But uh, I reckon when the big moments came, uh, you could always trust Matthew Lloyd. Thanks for your call, Frank. Uh, James from Caram Downs. Hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to the show. Uh, James from Caram Downs has been hanging on. He's got some thoughts on the Big Bash. Uh, Thanks for holding, James. Thanks, Jules. I'm probably just a lost in the wash a bit earlier for the day, but <laughs> BEL for the kids, um, no day games all summer except for the Aubrey game, and it's probably pretty poor when I'm a cricket coach, so trying to take young kids to games and experience the G and Marvel Stadium and, and so forth, it's pretty hard to do. So even if we can get Cricket Victoria or someone like that to commit to at least a, a day or a 12-hour game at least, to so maybe during January in Melbourne or... or and the other states like Adelaide and stuff are in the same boat as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess part of the issue would be a lot of the Big Bash games are played on the nights after a day's Test Cricket. So they obviously don't want to put Big Bash games up against Test Cricket and they can't because uh, Channel 7 and Fox Cricket are broadcasting the Test matches and they're not going to put it on their, well, it's Channel 7, they're on their secondary channels or Fox on another channel. So I, I, I understand your point. But I guess with the scheduling, and if you want to condense it even further, I guess maybe that would open up for some more day games, some more double-headers. But uh, I take your point. It is hard uh, with the young kids uh, to get them uh, to the night game. So I completely understand your point there, James. Thanks for your call. We've got time to take more calls uh, later in the show. Got a heap of nominations Uh, From who, from your club, current day or past, you trust with a shot to goal. We're going to talk about this with Brendan Gale, the Richmond CEO, after the break, because the Tigers have launched the Punt Road Classic, a goal-kicking competition involving all 43 players on their list. Tigers fans, get involved via the website. You can have a player kicking for you, and if they win the tournament, 10 grand in the kick. Welcome back to the show. Our Big McCafe menu coming up. Uh, Brett and Gail is going to join us uh, very shortly, the Richmond CEO, to talk about the Punt Road Classic, the goal-kicking competition. Uh, Tigers fans, get involved. All you need to do is go to the website, uh, register, and if you each player will, have, will be kicking for someone in the competition, and if that player wins, you will win $10,000. Simple as that. So head to the Richmond website, sign up, to be part of the action and win 10 grand. While you're there, great time to grab your membership and support the Tigers in 2024. So we've been asking this morning, uh, who from your club currently and in the past would you trust uh, with a kick? We've just gone from 40 metres out uh, directly in front, uh, but... I think the Richmond competition is a little bit more complicated than that. So I've got a heap coming through here. Uh, hi, Kyle Langford and Matthew Lloyd, says Julie. Uh, Nick Larkey would be up there as the most accurate goal kicker in the competition, says Shane. For Carlton, Warren Ralph, the past player. And obviously, Charlie Kerno, the current player, says Craig in Reservoir. Uh, Carlton player outside 40 directly in front. Go, can't go past Sam Doherty. says Rachel in Carlton North. Uh, Jeff says uh, Brad Green in the past for the Demons. Modern D Bailey Fritz, David in Newport. Dan Rioli is Richmond's dead eye from any distance. Left field one from me, Jules. I'm taking Mitch Duncan. I don't think that's left field. He's an outstanding uh, shot for goal. And Jimmy Bartell, yeah, he was Mr. Clutch, wasn't he, for the Cats in the past? Says Mozza. another Cat here. Tom Haw- Hawkins current. Billy Brownless from the past. Uh, Dracos says Tex Walker current. Andrew McLeod the past. Another Crows fan, Tex Walker now, Jason Paul Pleasure. previously. Dave, Errol Goulden now, Tony Lockett in the past. Adelaide supporter, Darcy Fogarty now, Tony Modra. Another cat, Mitch Duncan, Paul Chapman. Pretty easy as a Hawks fan, says Chris. Luke Bruce now, Jason Dunstall in the past. (laughs) I knew this one would come through. Port Adelaide, former player I would not want to be to kick for goal, Johnny Butcher. He was an absolute butcher in front of goal. Johnny Butcher. Hey, Jules, West Coast, former player shooting for goal have to be Josh Kennedy. Current player shooting for goal would be Oscar Allen. And Jules, current day Tex Walker and former player would be a guy called Scotty Welsh, of course. Former North Melbourne Premiership player. Bulldog Crow as well. He did not miss. And his son is a gun in the juniors and a very good chance uh, to be father's son uh, with the Adelaide Crows. Uh, and in this year's draft, um, Brad Johnson's come through as well. Of course, he's going to be a goal kicking consultant uh, with the Western Bulldogs uh, this year. Uh, before we get to Brendan Gale, uh, of course, it's a women's semifinals at the Australian open today. So Coco Goff versus arena Sabalenka. And uh, that was probably expected. Those two players would make the semifinals and the winner of that match will be the favorite uh, for the final and the other semifinal final it's uh, Diana Yastrzemska versus Zheng from China, uh, the number 12 seed. Uh, both of those players through to the semi-finals uh, for the first time. Let's have a listen uh, to both girls uh, speaking after their quarter-finals yesterday.
10: I have um, a dream since I'm a
9: child, and um, that that's what was moving me forward, no matter what happens. Um, the ch- I had a lot of difficult
0: situations. And uh, I don't want to talk about it right now. Uh, maybe some other time I can explain it and the, the the story will sound completely differently. But for now, I can say is that um, I just, uh, I don't know, I relaxed. I don't have much to say, I don't know,
9: I just relaxed and uh, I try to enjoy what I'm doing. As I said last time, I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, responsibility. Now I just took it everything out of my back and um, I'm trying to enjoy it. I mean, the feeling is just,
4: I can't explain by word right now because there were so many insights. I mean, happiness, um, of course, I'm proud of myself and yeah, but you know, this is just the beginning and I, I still need to play tomorrow. So I need to change fast the mentality and trying to stay my game plan for tomorrow.
0: Great story. Uh, Both of them uh, making the semi finals, and one will make an Australian Open final where they'll meet either Coco Golf, the defending US Open champion, or Arena Sabalenka, the defending champion, here at Melbourne Park. So we'll talk to Brett Phillips later on in this hour about uh, that, and we'll get a preview of the semi finals and a look ahead to the men's semi finals. But let's talk to Brendan Gale now. It's a great initiative, this, the Punt Road Classic, and the Richmond CEO joins us this morning. Morning, Benny.
4: Yeah, good morning, Jules. How are you, mate?
0: Very well. This is a it's a great idea. Where did the idea come from? And and just take us through it, because it's not like just one day everyone's having to kick a goal on survival of the fittest. It's uh, it's quite a well-organized competition.
4: Mate, you've found me out already. Uh, I, I don't know where the idea come from, to be honest, but it's, <laughs> a, it's a great idea. I'm really excited by it. Um, some clever person in our marketing department who to a wonderful idea, but... Um, get our, our fans and members close to the club. But it's great it, um, it, uh you know, you, we don't do enough goal-kicking. Our conversion could always be better. I guess all teams could say that. So to to have our our players have been practising, but practising with some stakes um, is is really good. And as I said, it gives our, our members and fans a chance to get a bit close to the club. And importantly, we're in a heap of cash.
0: That's right. So, uh, exactly. Yeah. So five kicking stations staggered inside the 50-metre arc. Uh, If a player has a clear lead after three kicks, they'll be deemed the winner. If the scores are still level, it will include a fourth and fifth kick. Two players uh, will continue to be selected randomly to fate each other ahead of each round. So it's going to start February 5. Got to get your entries in by next Monday if you want to be part of it going right through to March 1. So I guess uh, two of the better kicks could be uh, drawn against each other early on and one will be wiped out.
4: it, it could, it could, and that's, you know, the stakes are great, mate. So, um, no, it's going to be fantastic, and it's all going to be filmed and, and shared on and socials, and um, so uh, there might be some moments of embarrassment as well, mate. So uh, it's going to be wonderful, it's and it's just a, a great way we can get our members and fans closer to the club and, uh, you know, get them behind the scenes.
0: Okay, so you watch these guys train more than we do. You see them do their goal kicking. If you had to name two or three that, uh, if your name was attached to them, you'd be... Pretty confident that you'll be there in the finish. Who would they be?
4: Well, it's interesting because we saw so a customer seeing the big forwards, you know, uh, kicking all the goals and getting all the glory. But, you know, some of the more reliable kicks, I think, are uh, uh, the other end of the ground, midfield. When, when they do get their opportunities and, and they don't get them that often. Look, look up, up front, I, I'd Lynchy, I think mm. Lynchy's. You know, he's. I just think of Lynchy in big moments and big games. He seems to kick the goals that that really matter. And I, you know, I remember round one last year, he kicked that one square the game up actually in the in the death. Uh, but guys like um, uh, like I just think uh, you know Nicky Vlosten, I think he'll drift forward every now and then,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and you know, seen kicking, he's got a very reliable and. Technique, very sound. Uh, Daniel Rioli, I think. Um, play a lot forward down back now. So they're guys. I'd I'd fancy their chances in a a sort of a a contest of that nature.
0: Who'd you be a bit worried about if you drew their name out of a hat?
4: Um, Well, we've got a a couple of new boys I'm not quite sure about. We've got big Marte Marte (laughs) Kalina, who's our... Cat B rookie, yes. he's won 213 centimetres. He'll be the biggest guy i have ever played in game's history. Um, he's made great strides. Uh, he's a great athlete. Um, he hasn't quite got his technique sorted out at this stage, but he's making great progress. Um, so uh, I'd be a bit nervous if you draw Marte's. you won't like that.
0: Now, we know um, probably at the time that not all 43 players are going to be fit. Some won't be able to take part. So if they aren't able to take their place, they can select an assistant coach. To take their kick instead. So, who would be the number one assistant coach that uh, a player would be choosing if they're out injured? Um, assistant coach, or all coaches. All oh, well, I think all it, coaches. It, yeah. Well, Adam Musa was a good kick in the day. Oh, he's elite. Mm. Um,
4: and um, and he's brought a real focus on 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 kicking. I mean, he's elite kick, um, Adam. You know, played a lot half back, played a lot forward as well. But um, oh, I think you know, he had a beautiful left yeah. leg on him. Yeah, and he's, he's um, he played a lot down back, obviously, but um, um, yeah, Jack Zeeble, um with forward. So I haven't had a good look at those boys. Um, probably, probably Jack Zebel, He's freshest out of the game, um, so um, they get out amongst it, the boys though. They're um, and they're all really fit and good shape.
0: We're talking Brendan Gale, Richmond CEO. The Punt Road Classic has been launched. Just go to the Richmond website, Tiger fans. Get involved. If your player wins, ten thousand dollars into your pocket. Now, what about in your playing day, Brendan? Who would have you trusted and who wouldn't you have trusted in front of the big sticks?
4: Uh, Well, the guy you'd always trust, I reckon, uh, was Paul Broderick. Yeah. I reckon he was, uh, you know, brought a lot lot of midfield, obviously, but he'd slide forward every now and then. He was within, well, he didn't kick a long way, Broderick, but if he was within 40, he could take it to the bank. The the other guy that I reckon gets bad raps, um, he had a very ungainly kicking style, but he's very effective, was Duncan Kellaway.
6: Oh, yes. Yeah, Duncan... He didn't keep many kick goals. ...the Irish
4: drop punch though. Well, he kicked a few. And I reckon he kicked his first goal against Port Adelaide at the MCG one day, and uh, the boys got around him. But he never... Look, it wasn't pretty, but he kicked within his limitations and then missed his targets. But the bloke I reckon who gets the roughest deal is, is Richard. Of
0: course he does.
4: And, and um, but he's... He's his conversion historically stands up. I mean, he admittedly it didn't count all the sort of out of bounds and the fools, but but, um, but uh, Richie was pretty good. I reckon he was. Uh, he kicked the ones that counted.
0: What about yourself?
4: Well, I think my my conversion on the latter stages of my career was pretty good. I reckon there was one year when I might have kicked about 22, 23 goals too, but. I was a resting ruckman and typically they were from the top of the goal square. Um, I played that sort of bear in the square role. So I can't remember what I was. I mean, I I had some good days had some pretty ordinary days, I guess. So um, you probably wouldn't want to be drawing me, mate.
0: Uh, Don't be like, see Brendan, I've done the stats here and you're, you are frighteningly close to the truth. So overall you went 209, 147 in your last four years though, 36 goals, eight. And in 2000, you kicked 22 goals, three.
4: Yeah. David Whedon. David Wedon yeah. was an assistant coach and uh um and he was a goal kicking specialist. It was really he was a zealot on routines. And uh and he said, Have you got a routine? And I said, Yeah, of course I have. Well he showed me this well, it would have been a tape the old VHS back then and I had like I must have had twenty different routines. He said, You haven't got one. So once I sort of knuckled down on a on a on a preset routine, um, I became consistent. Uh, in that approach has seemed to change things around, um, but having said that, as I said, I, they weren't too far out, Jules. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, but there you go. Hey, I'll take I'll take that. Take I'll it. Take that stat. you, the stats yeah. the stats don't lie. And just overall, how's the how's the feeling at the club? The season. We'll be honest. Uh, before we know, from the outside, it looks it looks fresh. Obviously, with the, the new coach, some of the most powerful figures, Trent Cotchin and Jack Revolt, have moved on. What's what's the feeling like at Punt Road?
4: Yeah, it's really, really good, mate. It's really, really positive and optimistic, and um, and um, yeah. Look, I think um, you know, the, with success over recent years comes that level of expectation to back up year after year, and sometimes that has its own weight. And and um, with Damien, you know, finishing up last year, you know, I mean, what I thought upon reflection were you know fantastic circumstances. You know, we just both walk away and. Um, and uh, so, so thankful of each other and and the contribution he made. But it's it's a new broom. We've got uh, Adam and and you know um, new personnel, um, a new approach. And and you know I I don't know any well I've known no different than sort of Damien. And mm. and so a new coach is a big change. And and clearly he's he's missed out on a few opportunities previously. Um, and he's got his chance. And he brings great great experience of the game, great technical capability, but incredible enthusiasm and excitement. And I think that really rubs off on everyone and through the whole play. So, yeah, we feel really good.
0: So, as you said, I mean, the expectations have been high every year since this run started in, in 2017. Is it a bit harder to to set expectations now, given all the change?
4: Look, it is. Look um, and... Um, yeah you know, i guess the frustrating things at times last year were you know we had a look clearly we have played a a very clear system of football that's been clearly understood by our players um and they've been able to deliver that with great success and our fans understand the way we play and the way we should play and there were times last year when we were sort of sort of unrecognizable to be frank and so we want to get back to playing consistent aggressive um exciting brand of footy aggressive you know ball movement and and taking the game on. And um, so, uh, you know, I think consistency, um, excitement is, you know, something we want to see this year. Where that takes us, um, who knows?
0: And Tommy Lynch and Dylan Grimes, uh, how are they going? It looks like Tommy's making some progress, but it sounds like it's been a little bit of a frustrating pre-season for Dylan.
4: Yeah, he, he's, um, yeah Lynch, he's making good progress now. He's, um, it's funny, he, he, when he joined us at the end of eighteen for nineteen, it like it didn't look like he was gonna be available in the early rounds of nineteen at all. But in the last week or two he just really he really progressed and, and played round one against Carlton nineteen and had an impact. Um might I'm to kicked a goal with his first kick, in fact. Um so he's coming on, he's making really good progress and so we've got high hopes that Tommy will be available. Um, yeah, Grimes he's had a few little niggles. He knows his body, he's got, you know, great awareness and um He's putting a lot of effort into, into his, his preparation and um, he's a warrior. He'll be, he'll be available. He'll be good.
0: Uh, it's exciting times, Brendan. I know Richmond fans are excited uh, for a new era they've been sport in uh, recent years. But uh, look, we can't wait for this uh, Punt Road Classic. Just get onto richmondfc.com.au forward slash Punt Road Classic to get involved. You can nominate once and, uh, as we say, if your player wins $10,000. Uh, it's a great initiative, Brendan. Uh, well done on it. And uh, we look forward to seeing how it all plays out.
4: Yeah, thanks, George. Now really excited, by excited about the year and a call to arms for all our members to to re-sign as well. And um, you know, we really value your your you know your loyalty and strength and support. So get on board.
0: Yeah, no doubt the Tiger Army will. Uh, Brendan Gale joining us this thanks, morning. You. Uh, thank you, Brendan, uh, the Richmond CEO. So RichmondFC.com.au forward slash Punt Road Classic uh, to get uh, involved. Ten thousand dollars. Uh, if your player wins uh, the competition, which will go for about a month, as we say, it's a, a random draw one V one, and then it will be last man standing. So, so the lucky fans are the 43 players. Uh, they'll, so one will get $10,000 uh, first prize, but everyone that's uh Gets a player, we'll get a share and signed by their player. $10,000 first prize and $500 for second. Just jump on the Richmond website. For further details, this is Mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on right now. Is there a way around
3: it? I mean, you're, you're a great thinker of this game and, and you love all aspects of it. You love the white ball, you love the test cricket. Is there a way to fix it?
6: Oh, yeah, easy. Just squeeze the tournament a little bit more. You know, we had a week off, really, every side had a week off because of the Perth Test match. Yes. You know, if they played a game uh, in Perth at the old Wacker Ground, there's one game you can get. We didn't play Christmas Eve. You can play a head at Christmas Eve. There's a, there's almost a round done, and that's a week saved. So if you get a week saved, you overseas stay. So you've got to squeeze the tournament somehow. I think that's the next move, isn't it? Because the overseas want to stay. Munro and Billings were fantastic for us. And, and in that regard, I mean, their role was to get us to the finals. They did that. So now it's up to the the depth of the squad to cover those losses and actually try and win the tournament from here. Mm. And now uh, Cricket Australia are talking about starting later rather than that squeeze, aren't they? And, and trying to work with the ILT20 to, to push them back and have them start a week later. But maybe they could start the way we started and not have the Perth test, you know, getting in the way. Well... Hmm. well the Perth is going to be there so it's going to be in the in the way so we've just got to work our way around that um, and you know we didn't play Christmas Eve so there's two rounds heels and, and as I said if the Whackers played from up the stadium people go to the Wacker for a, a Scorchers game you've almost got a, a round out of the road and once you do that you're actually ahead of the game again you, hmm. you save yourself seven, eight days and, and if you come back seven, eight days that means we, we've got our our senior overseas players available for the whole time and that's they want to stay there's no doubt about that. Um, so they've got to work their way through that. And the Brisbane test being a day-nighter, that, that might have been the time we could still play the finals on a long weekend after the test match what? day. We could have done either.
0: Interesting thoughts there from Darren Lehman talking with Ian Healy and Paddy Welsh as part of Patton Hills yesterday on Breakfast. Uh, interesting too. Do we want to see the Brisbane test as a day-nighter all the time? That'd be great have Adelaide and Brisbane as day-night test matches. Uh, Now, a few off the 40 Wings temper of asking, why aren't we speaking to someone from the Brisbane Heat after winning the BBL final? Well, we're trying. So hopefully uh, later on in the show, uh, we will have one of the winning players from the Brisbane Heat or maybe one of the coaches, Darren Lehman or Wade Seckham, on the program. So we'll keep you posted. But that one, Melbourne's weather today, 19.7 degrees at the moment, a possible shower, aiming for 26 Pretty humid again, 70%, and a full moon tonight. How do we know that? Is that forecast when there's a full moon? Is it? There you go. For City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. Uh, Brett Phillips, uh, not too far away as we preview the ladies' semifinals at Melbourne Park today, and then it's the men's semifinals uh tomorrow. Uh so we'll have a good chat to BP about everything that's happening. Uh, down at the Australian Open. Plenty coming through off the 40 Wings temper as well about uh, goal kickers. So we just spoke to Brendan Gale, if you're just joining us, about the Punt Road Classic. All 43 players involved in a goal-kicking competition. The winner will win $10,000 for a lucky fan. So we've been asking this morning, who from your club currently and in the past would you trust in a goal-kicking competition? I like the left-field ones, and this is left-field. A a left-foot half-forward flanker who played for Norwood In the 70s and 80s, named Roger Woodcock is probably the deadliest ever kick from 40 metres out, says one. Uh, John, uh, across the Tigers' generations here, Bob Hurd, Mike Green and Greg Stafford aren't too far behind as the Tigers' all-time best goal-kicking accuracy records. Johnny says, has anyone got Aaron Edwards in the Tigers' goal-kicking comp? Well, you can't have him because he doesn't play anymore, but he's got the best goal-kicking accuracy of an ex-Tigers player of 69.5%. 40 metres out directly in front. First choice for me. Lots of Hawthorne fans would be Mark, the rifleman Williams. Put down your glasses. He was deadly. 40 metres out. Any longer than that struggle. But inside, that beautiful, fluent goal-kicking action. He was very good. Another hawk here. current Jack Gunston, past Gary Bacanara. Says blocker in Vanuatu. Got oh, on, new blocker. Uh, for the pies, Lockie Schultz now. We haven't played a game for him yet, but you've obviously been watching him close at Freo. Johnny Anthony. In the past, uh, Ben here says, tell Benny Gale, I'll back myself in to take on the Mighty Tiger boys if they want a Tiger fan involved. Well, you can't have a kick, but you can get involved um, if you want one of them to kick for you. Has anyone mentioned Brendan Favola for kicking at goal? Unique style with holding the ball, but gee whiz, he was good. He was Oscar, and when he was on, he didn't miss. He had some big days where he was just kicking them left, right, and centre. Current player, Ben Brown, went fit. Past player, Alan Jakovic, at the Demons. Only played 47 games and kicked 201 goals. Fastest player in AFL 50, yeah, history to reach 50 and equal fastest to 100 in just 27 games. The only problem with that, he wasn't that accurate. He had some bad days, Alan Jackovic, He'd spray him everywhere. 208 goals, 173 over his career. Barry says Nick Dacos. Uh, Nick Dakos, Nick Davis. Yeah, pretty good Nick Davis. And another one says Darren Buick. So keep them coming through. We've got some time to take your call. 1-300-736-736. The BBL, the tennis, good kicks. We can take it all this morning. One 40 Winks Temper, of course. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. Forty Winks, serious about sleep, of course. That number zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. A couple more just before we get to the news. Sam Lloyd, of course, kicked that winning goal for the Tigers against the Swans at the MCG. Ooh, I'd say twenty sixteen if I was having a guess. Um, Brad Pearce. Yeah, Brad Pearce. He was on for a couple of years at the Blues around that 1995 premiership. And this one comes through a bit, actually. Troy Luff from the Sydney Swans. Never missed, says Brian in Vermont. Yeah, pretty accurate from memory. Troy Luff. Uh, Let's get the latest now from the newsroom with Nathan Gardner. Thank you, Nathan. I tell you what, if you love your cricket, SEN is the place to be. So on the app, you can... You've got a choice. You can listen to Australia versus the West Indies or the series that's just about to begin. Big one, this one, India v. England, five-test series. You can hear every ball on SEN. So if you're a cricket fan, this is the place to be. Let's get to David in East Bentley. He's given us the call with a goal-kicking nomination. G'day, David.
3: Hey, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm well, mate. How are you? Um, good. I got to stick-up for my Lions boys. Mm-hmm. But um, but actually, Buick was a really good nomination. He was a bloody yeah, he was a good um, well, I got Bradshaw. Yeah, he's right, good as one. Yep, but has to be the Rolls Royce Ackermannus.
0: Yes, yes.
3: A, left foot as well. What a kick!
0: What a yeah, player! He kicked some extraordinary goals on his left foot from outside fifty. Unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> the other one that's come through pretty strongly, David, of the current crop, has been Zach Bailey.
7: Ah, yes. What a little champion! What about Huey? Can we nominate Huey? He's just brilliant. I love him.
0: Who? Who's the last one? Huey McCluggage. Oh, Huey McCluggage. Huey McCluggish. Huey McCluggish?
3: It's terrible. But I was no going to say,
0: you are clearly taking the mickey because I wouldn't trust <laughs> Huey with my life if he was kicking for goal.
3: <laughs> no, probably not, but Zach's pretty good.
0: How, how are your lines going to go this year, David? Can they go one step better?
3: Well, look, I'm hoping they can, but it's so even, isn't it? Gunna? It's so even, a couple of injuries, and you're all over the shop. So I hope they do, mate. I was there last year. I was there last year and it's still,
0: yeah, what do you say? was <sighs> the best team on the day. collingwood would been the oh, best team. The so day. close, but so far, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, mate. Mm. Yeah, it was. But we'll, we'll give it our best shot. Yeah, you got a good list. Absolutely. Bring Will Ashcroft back into that side. Tommy Duday gets uh, fifth, second half of the year. You've probably improved your list, to be honest. So it should be a good year for the Brisbane Lions. Thanks for your call, David. A couple for the dogs here. Uh, morning, Julio. The most accurate dog in front of goal is Tom Libertore. Within 40 metres. Start walking back to the middle, lads. Jason Akamanis was incredible in front of goal and got better as the pressure ramped up, says Freddie. And Noah in Canterbury, says, give me Caleb Daniel on the run. 40 metres out straight in front. And a fired up Barry Hall in 2010. And I one for you for the Hawks. Currently, I like this guy, Mitch Lewis. He's a beautiful kick. Uh, past Michael Moncrief uh, from the 70s. Uh, Playing a couple of flags, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so keep them coming through a lot for Fev, a lot for Fev, and uh, yeah, he had some big days in some big games against the Bombers and the and the Magpies uh, over the years. Okay, let's get a breakaway on the other side. Brett Phillips uh, is going to join us. Women's semi-final day down at the Australian Open and uh, building up for the semi-finals in the men tomorrow night. We'll speak to BP. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on right now.
11: Well, it's got the hat backwards, doesn't it?
0: Will we now induct Leighton into the Australian Tennis Hall of Fame? This bust will be placed alongside all of the other Hall of Fame inductees in Garden Square here at Melbourne Park. And on behalf of Tennis Australia and the wider tennis community, congratulations to you, Leighton. No one deserves it more. Well played. Yeah, great moment for Leighton Hewitt last night. My good statue. Liked it. The hat backwards and uh, thoroughly deserves. Hard to believe it's 19 years ago since he reached the final at Melbourne Park as we welcome in Brett Phillips, Morning BP.
3: Yeah, backwards, uh, very fitting, uh, Jules, very fitting indeed. So, yeah, we knew that was uh, coming. They do do that part really they well do. at the Australian Open, honouring uh, the great of the sport, and a lot of them uh, obviously return every year and sit in the uh, presidential reserve there and enjoy uh, enjoy the tennis. So, yeah, obviously gave so much and, and still you know giving so much to tennis.
0: If Andrew really had a better career, would if he had a statue with a ripped shirt? <laughs> No
3: doubt, no (laughs) doubt. He's become a little bit of a recluse, Andrew. Really. um,
0: Yeah, he's
3: he's not one that um, is is sort of right there at the epicenter of tennis. Still, Uh, I think I think he was reports he's over
0: in Hong Kong or Bali or somewhere doing. I think he is overseas somewhere. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. But that there, that moment, I closed my eyes. I can, I can see it forever.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, just on Leighton, uh, we saw Cruz. Uh, Hewitt playing the other day. What What's sort of the, the buzz around tennis about Cruz's future?
3: Yeah, well, he's won a couple of uh, junior tournaments last year, uh, both uh, abroad, and obviously the Hewitts have moved up to well, the Gold Coast, is where they were. So he was training at a KDV up there. And, um, you know, there are some people who uh, think, you know, should he be given wild cards into things? Anyway, let's that's the whole wild card debate. But um, look, he's developing. Uh, he's really shot up, uh, as you will have seen. <laughs> For those that took in a bit of the ceremony last night with the family photo, he is uh, he's uh, he's a tall boy. And I watched his second-round match uh, here just to get a feel. It was show called 3, absolutely packed out there, which is great. Uh, he's not overawed by it all. Um, he was just not quite good enough. First time in a junior main draw, so he's only 15. And he's um, he's developing. But, I mean, he's been around the scene, hasn't he, since he was knee-high to a... A grasshopper hanging around uh, Leighton, the other Australian players going on trips. So he, um, it's just a perfect lead-in to what I suppose he'll hope will be um, a really good career. I mean, no pressure to emulate what his dad has done, but tennis is in his genes. And yeah, I suppose we're really keen, particularly the next two years, just to see how he uh, how he tracks um, you know, towards the back end of the you know the junior stint of his career. It hasn't
0: really been a sport over the years, tennis has it, BP for father sons or. Um Mother daughters, even though Lindsay Davenport's son is playing as well, but it hasn't been big, sort of uh, passing it down through the generations.
3: No, there's uh, you know, just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, we have Casper Root here, Christian his yep. father, who's his coach, uh, played uh, on the tour. There's obviously the quarters, mm-hmm. um, and there'd be uh, there'd be a few that just escape in my mind as we speak. But yeah, not not uh, not constant uh, like we see probably in footy uh, here, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that probably tennis players actually get to the end of their careers and they try and steer their kids away from tennis uh, knowing what they've uh, been through. It's a bit of a... a I mean, the, the riches can be great, but it's also uh, a tough sport to try and uh, try and make it as a lot of players are found.
0: Absolutely. Uh, before we get on to previewing the women's semi semifinals uh, tonight, I must admit I didn't see that result coming last night with Carlos Alcaraz. A, because the way he was playing in the lead-up and... Fair ever a couple of matches was pushed right to the brink in those fifth set 10-point uh, tiebreakers. Uh, was it a shock to you to see him get done?
3: Well, it was a shock the way he probably played. It was uncharacteristic of El Karez, particularly the unforced errors. Um, I mean, he's an offensive player, but yeah, some sloppy uh, games, which really cost him. You know, first set got away quickly. Suddenly, two sets to love, we expected him to rally. You know, he played some brilliant shots in the tiebreaker. He was clutched there and won one break of serve in the ninth game of the fourth. So could have easily gone to five, but yeah, Zverev... Uh, look, we always know Zverev's serving really well, and he, you know, if you're getting 80%-plus first serves in, you're not getting a look at too many second serves, which means you're a little behind the eight ball in the rally, and and uh, he's such a good, competent net player as well, uh, Zverev. So he just moved well. He, he he played the sort of tennis we know he's capable of. I mean, he, he, he was world number three, and he's won everything in tennis bar a grand slam, uh, big session Zverev. So... Yeah, I sort of like um,
6: you know,
3: all these different generations. Now, Djokovic at 36, the young backs are getting a lot of the publicity, and we've sort of forgotten about Medvedev mm. and Zverev and Tsitsipas and co. And maybe it'll circle back you know, to them having a window that we thought, mm, not totally closed, but getting harder for them to crack. So who knows what it's going to look like over the next... Uh, you know, period
0: of time. Yeah, great performance last night uh, from Zverev. We'll preview the men's semifinals tomorrow, but on paper they look absolute beauty. Zverev v Medvedev and Sinner versus Djokovic. Uh, it's sort a real contrast, isn't it, in the semi-finals uh, tonight? You've got uh, a match between two ladies that have been there and done it, Coco Goff and Norena Sabalenka. I just get the feeling when I listen to you speak, BP, you've still got little lingering doubts about Sabal- Sabalenka in these big matches.
3: Yeah, we saw it in the Brisbane final to start the year. I mean, you know, she was so good up until the final against uh, Rebacchner there. She just tightened up and sprayed balls and lost her mental state and just couldn't recover. I mean, she can sort of laugh this stuff off these days now that she's a Grand Slam champion. So she's sort of got the monkey off her back. And, you know, she's been the most consistent of all the top-line players. I mean, there's six consecutive semifinals. So she's always there at the business end. But, yeah, she does have the capacity to implode at times, uh, and she plays big, and it's big and bold and brash when it's not on, and uh, the opponent is is starting to you know figure all that out and make life difficult. That sort of game style can um, you know be conducive to to errors and uh, not quite you know being on songs. So Goff, I think, is the one who can really really trouble her. She's been pretty much flawless bar one match, but challenged and reset. So that's a sign of her maturity. I, I, my my feeling is looking at it. I, I really like Coco and what she's doing. I think she disrupts Sabalenka tonight, and it's got a way on her. Those three semifinals that last year, where she just didn't get it done in winning positions too. So um, yeah, I've, I've got Goff there, but it, it, look, you always feel like the you know the game's on Sabalenka's racket. So if it's really on tonight, it's, you know, it's like a tsunami coming at you. So it could be
0: tough to stop. I guess at this time of the tournament, in a way, if you haven't had that much time on court, it's it's a good thing in terms of the physical side of the game. But coming up into a big semi-final against a quality player like Coco Goff, the fact she hasn't been challenged at all through this tournament, does that actually not help going into a match like tonight?
3: Mm, I don't know. I don't think it makes too much of a difference, to be honest. I mean, you beat who you beat, you... um you know, it, it, you go about your matches. I mean, she's so well uh, conditioned, and you know, played in all these big matches. I don't think it. I don't think it's a disadvantage uh, to her uh, at all. Um, she's played enough big matches across uh, her career, Sabalenka. So yeah, I think she'll be primed, uh, ready to go, keen to you know make amends. You're defending, you know, the title from last year. That means a lot to players to come back and defend. And. Yeah, it'll be high stakes. So I'm sort of trying to get a visual of what it's going to look like, and you know, I'll be there in the booth and up close and personal, and studying the body language and the movement. And you know, uh, they both uh, yeah they're both in good nick this tournament, so it, it should be a quality hit out where you know one player is not necessarily going to have it on their on their terms the whole match.
0: Yeah, whoever wins will certainly be the favourite for the final. So the other semi-final, Yastrzemska is a great story, as we've spoken about uh, through the fortnight so far, and Chung from China, uh, the world number 12, looking to become the second Chinese woman to win an Australian Open behind Li Na. And it's an amazing run she's sort of had. She hasn't really played anyone inside the top 50, and she gets to the semis, Mm. and she's still not playing someone inside the top 50.
3: No, and sometimes the draw just works out like that, and um, you only can beat who you, who's in front of you, and but what we do know is that uh, she's no flash in the pan. So she's gone quarterfinal US now to the semi-finals of the AO and the next slam. So she's emerging as um, a player who can become a, a regular top ten player, not just in for a little brief period and fall away and get forgotten about. Uh, if you sort of uh, know her whole journey to get here, uh, coming through the Chinese tennis system over there, I mean it's it's sort of been built for you know, uh, the big stages, really, and uh, and inspired. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, 10 years after Lee Nair, uh saluted. So, yeah, I love the way she came back last night because she was the favourite against Kellen Skyer. And um, I like Coco Goff, you know, you lose a set. It's not the end of the world. The good players just work their way back and back themselves in. Uh, Yastrimska, though, look, great tournament. You know, it's nice to see her back up there again because she was great to watch when she got to 21 and, yeah, she's carrying. She's doing this more for than herself. I think mm. that's that's huge. Uh, this means a hell of a lot to her for her country, uh, which is driving her. And yeah, it might just come down to small margins tonight. Zhang, for me, I think I've said it all week. I'll stick with that. Um, yeah, I think you know she's the one that's the most equipped out of all those players remaining when we started the week to make it through to the final.
0: So is this for Yesremsko? Is this a bit of a one-off sort of tournament for her? Or given as you said, she was ranked just outside the top 20 a few years ago. Like Chung, do you think she can go on and, and, and have a really good career and, and get right up the rankings? Well, I feel like she's
3: rediscovered her game. She really struggled, um, you know, post-COVID, uh, the doping suspension, to find her best. I, mean, I think last year she did not did not beat a top 20 player. So, yeah, the fact she started this year like this uh, is, is a credit to her uh, for you know, not sort of getting dismayed by that and falling away uh, totally. And, you know, she knows that she's got the capacity to be uh, a good top-line player. But, you know, if it's it's really hard to get a form line on the women's rankings. Uh, you know, players sort of peak and then they drip, uh, drift away. There's always a pack coming up underneath who are so keen to, you know, get to the top that it makes every match so hard forward and it comes down to, you know, execution, particularly in those early rounds when the seeds are there for the taking with these Fearless young players that are coming through the draw, um, but yeah, look, the tennis she's shown—you um, know—she should be at her age now too, you know, mature enough that okay, I know what I know what it takes to win. You know, top fifty to stay in the top fifty has to be
0: the minimum. So for you, it's going to be you predicting a for chung final.
3: Yep, yep, I think so. I think that's the way it's going to pan out. Although, you know, Arena could make me look silly and be three love up in about five minutes uh, tonight and never be headed. So but it's on her racket. I feel like it's always on her racket and sometimes it's good and sometimes uh, it really lets her down, her game style.
0: Yeah, it should be two great semi-finals. Uh, BP, enjoy. And we'll be back tomorrow to preview uh, what looks on paper to cracking men's semifinals. Uh, enjoy the women's semis.
3: Pleasure. We'll be on, uh, yeah, 7 o'clock tonight in the bunker. Nice and cosy in there, Jules.
0: Magnificent. uh, Brett Phillips with all the action from down at Melbourne Park. Welcome back to the show on the McCafe menu after 11. Taylor Fraser from the Melbourne Mavericks is going to join us. Remember, they're here, the Mavs. Get your Mavs membership today. Head to melbournemavericks.com. Steve Kuypert is going to talk some golf with us. We're still trying to get someone from the Brisbane Heat as well. So hopefully we'll chat to one of the successful Heat players after 11 o'clock, we've been asking for who do you trust past and present players in terms of goal kicking off the back of the announcement of the Punt Road Classic down at Richmond. A lot of love for this man, Tory Dixon. 181 career goals, 61 points at 75%. Uh, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. A lot of love for Nick Larkey. Mark Jackson as well. Old Jacko is getting uh, plenty of love. Good figures. 308 goals, 144. And Cliff, I'm not taking this. It's got to be an AFL player. I'm not taking Gus Humphreys from St. Joe's down in Geelong kicking for me. I don't know who he is. So unless you send me some vision, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Plenty more to come after 11. Welcome back to the show, Julian De Stoop, With you, overcast morning in Melbourne as we build up for semi-final women's semi-finals at the Australian Open, and also the second Test between Australia and the West Indies at the Gabba. SEN Test Cricket live from 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. We're excited. The Melbourne Mavericks are here, and you'll see them in action for the first time at the SunCorp Team Girls Cup to be played Friday the 22nd of March through to Sunday the 24th of March at Sydney's Ken Rosewell Arena. So it'll be the first time the pre-season comp has been held in Sydney. Tickets go on sale from Wednesday the 7th of February in addition to the pre-season tournament. uh, Netball Australia are also proud to announce the first ever Suncorp Super Netball Trophy Tour. So it'll hit every state and territory across the country. Commences February 17 in Perth will be showcased at the Suncorp Teams Girls Cup and it'll end in Melbourne, head of round one of the Suncorp Netball League in mid-April. If you want any further details, go to the Suncorp Super Netball website. But as we say, we're excited about the Melbourne Mavericks, their first season in the competition. And uh, Taylor Fraser has joined from the Swifts and she joins us this morning. Morning, Taylor.
9: Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolute uh, pleasure. Now, I probably shouldn't bring up the uh, trophy tour with you because you were one goal away from winning your third with the Swifts last year. It's probably a bit of a sore yeah, point still.
9: Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. We're, we're all about Melbourne Mavs now because that one hurts too much, but we're going to make up for it this year with the Mavs, I reckon.
0: That's what we like to hear. Just just on it for, for you, though, you grew up, you know, following the Swifts. You're from New South Wales. You won two premierships with the team. So... How difficult was it to make the move to move away? And why did you choose the Mavs?
9: Yeah, I was and have always been a Swift supporter, so it was a difficult decision. But when you have the likes of Tracy Neville, who's an absolute stalwart coach in our netball hemisphere, and then the likes of Shea Bolton-Brown giving you a call, it's pretty hard to say no. I just loved hearing about the vision that the Mavericks had and where they were going to take netball. And I actually think having Sen on board as well will be great for the Mavs, but great for netball in a whole as well. So I couldn't
0: say no. So were you looking to move or was it just the fact that the, the Mavericks, what they discussed with you and the vision you saw sort of prompted you to move or were you sort of looking at this stage of your career, maybe for a, for a different challenge?
9: Yeah, um, I'd been at the Swift for five or so years and I'd been sitting behind a couple of girls who were in the Diamonds playing probably my more predominant position. So I think I was ready to take the next step and then when this opportunity came up, it just seemed like the perfect fit for me. And I've always loved Melbourne, so it was a pretty easy yes in my opinion.
0: Have you settled in Melbourne yet? Have you moved in, ready to go?
9: Yes, all settled. Um, took us a little bit. It's moving in hard, but I'm all settled now and my partner has moved from Sydney with me as well. So that makes it all the more easy.
0: Yeah, excellent. Uh, so what is it about the the Mavericks vision that excites you so much? And, and what are some of the, I guess, the challenges of uh, being part of a, a, a startup organization?
9: Yeah, I think the idea of getting to be a part of an inaugural club is pretty special because you're starting from ground up. You can build it the way you want to. You can shape it the way that you think will work best. And I think that SEN and the Mavericks are going to do something a little different. I think netball has been um, at the forefront of women's sport for so long. But now with extra competition coming in from all the other codes, I think the likes of SEN will bring something a little bit different and maybe we can step outside the box and continue to make netball more and more exciting and more inclusive of everyone who loves the sport so much but also bringing in new fans, which will only grow the sport more. So how, many, how
0: much have the girls been together? How many sessions have you had? Um, and just take us through, since the, the roster was finalised, uh, how much work you've actually done as a group?
9: Yeah so obviously we got off to a bit of a slower start after um Netball Australia and uh the players association having discussions but we're back in now we're week 2 we've done a couple of court sessions we've been in the gym um and it's really cool to be finally you know putting it into action we had a long probably about 6 months where we were in talks and you know getting excited but couldn't actually action anything so we're getting stuck in now. Tracy's so excited. She kept saying she wanted to do a drill, so she's done drills now, and um, it's been really good so far.
0: Speaking to Taylor Fraser from the Melbourne Mavericks, it just—it was a tough period for everyone in netball, uh, Taylor, and the players in particular. What was it like for you, all that, that uncertainty at that time?
9: Yeah, um, it was extremely difficult, and I'm very glad that we're through the other side of it now, um, especially with moving states. Um, a lot of us have moved to the maps from our home states and you know being here and not being paid and not being able to do what we love was really difficult but I'm really glad with the result we got and now we can move forward and get back to what we love doing
0: so what sort of expectations do you set on the first season is it is it hard to sort of have goals and expectations or is it given it's it's basically just a blank canvas and you're starting from from nothing
9: Yeah, pretty much. But I think one thing that we have that's really lucky is we have girls from so many previous teams in the league. So we have a bit of, you know, information from every team, which is really exciting. And I think with the likes of Tracy and Nicole Richardson as our coaches, they're both extremely competitive. So I think that's going to pass through down to all of us. And hopefully we can start the year off and start the Mavericks family off
0: with a bang. You mentioned uh, playing in your preferred position. You've played sort of everywhere across the midcourt. So, so what is your preferred position? Is that is that part of the lure of coming to the Mavs that you'll get to play in your preferred position?
9: Yeah, definitely. So, more traditionally, I've grown up being an attacking mid-quarter, so centre and wing attack. But at Swifts, my role was more in the wing defence area, which I loved and it was awesome to, you know, add something else to my toolkit. But I'm really excited to get back into, you know, where I think that I shine and where I can bring the best to the team. So, yeah, really excited to be back in those at- attacking positions and getting to feed the likes of El Cardwell is going to be uh, very nice. <laughs>
0: and I guess, like you know, most of the girls playing in the super netball that you've got Diamond's aspirations as well.
9: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's always been a dream of mine. I think from about the time that I was six, I told everyone I was going to be an Australian Diamond one day. So that goal is definitely um, in the back of my mind. But I'm just excited to get out there in Mavs colours and do my best and hopefully win a premiership. And anything that comes will be a cherry on top.
0: So you mentioned you love Melbourne. Now, not everyone from Sydney loves Melbourne and not everyone from Melbourne <laughs> loves Sydney. What is it about Melbourne that you love so much?
9: So I'm a big AFL fan. It's been brainwashed into me since I was a kid. I might not say which team I support. Oh, you got to that tell might... us. Oh, that might lose me <laughs> Well, um so I'm actually a Collingwood supporter. Oh boy. Another <laughs> one. Another
0: one. <laughs> where's <laughs> that where's that come from?
9: So my dad's family is actually from Victoria okay. and they lived um around the Collingwood area and my grandpa and my grandma have pretty much just passed it down. We didn't get much of a choice, but yeah, love the idea of being in the capital of sport. I love every sport under the sun. So excited to get to all of the games that you guys have here. So that definitely wasn't a lure for me.
0: Yeah, well, you've chosen a good time uh, to come down and support the Magpies. Now, what about outside of netball, Taylor? Uh, What else do you like doing uh, apart from playing netball?
9: Yeah, so I'm at university. I've been at uni for a while, but almost finished. Um, I'm studying exercise physiology. So I can definitely say that I'll end up in some form of um, that sector one day, but just in my off time, I love coaching kids. I love getting to know the community. I think in Sydney, that was a real passion point of mine because that was me previously when I was younger and seeing the, you know, big super netball girls was so amazing to me. So I'm hoping to bring that to Melbourne and, you know, really get in touch with the southeast uh, Melbourne netball community in southeast Victoria. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So how, how much of uni you got to go? I've
9: got one unit in placement. Placement makes it a little bit trickier around netball, but yes. um, uh, netball is what I want to do at the moment, and as, as everyone always says, you can go back to uni whenever, so I'll get it done when I get it done.
0: That's right, no rush, no rush. You mentioned Tracy before, and we've had her on the program a few times, and uh, she's always a fantastic chat. Just give us an insight into what she's like as a coach, and does she diff- how does she differ from previous coaches you've had?
9: Yeah, Tracy's awesome. She's a bundle of energy. I don't think I've met anyone with so much energy and competitive nature, but I'm absolutely loving learning from her. Obviously, she's from England as well, so there's a little bit of a coaching difference there with her terminology and the way that she sees the game, which I'm loving getting to learn. And I think as well, just her like nature is so exciting and so fun, and she just wants to get the best out of everyone, and I'm really enjoying, you know, not only growing as a netball player, but growing as a person as well in her presence.
0: And at the Suncorp Team Girls Cup, uh, is it nice to get the uh, match against the old mob, the Swifts, out of the way nice and early?
9: <laughs> yeah, it'll be. I did have a bit of a laugh, and I saw we're in their pool. Um, but no, I'm just really excited to get out there against them. It'll be a very funny feeling, especially with it being at Ken Roswell, which is our home at Swifts, but... I'm very excited to hopefully uh, get one up on them and then leading into round two, hopefully we can get them again.
0: Anyone in particular you're looking forward to coming up against?
9: <laughs> um, I've absolutely uh, loved playing with Maddie Proud and Paige Hadley for a lot of years and they've always been my you know, teammates, so I'm really excited to see what they're like on the flip side now um, and have a bit of a tussle against those two.
0: Uh, It's exciting times, Taylor. Everyone here at the radio station is excited uh, about the Mavericks. Um, We're excited that you love moving to Melbourne. Slightly disappointed you, Barrett, for the pies, but that's okay. We can look past it because you're a Melbourne Mav uh, at the end of the day. Hey, thanks so much for your time, and uh, we can't wait for the Mavs to get stuck in and get started uh, in the season. Yeah, thanks so much for
9: having me on, and go Mavs.
0: Go Mavs indeed. Uh, Taylor Fraser, one of the star signings from the Mavs. She's coming down from the Swifts after two premierships and 60 games with the Swifts. Just a reminder the Melbourne Mavericks are here. You get your Mavs membership today, head to melbournemavericks.com and don't miss your last chance to become a trailblazer and have your name on the first ever Mavs game day dress. Become a member today, simply head to melbournemavericks.com. Melbourne's weather up to 21.3 degrees, possible shower, top of 26 Six-kilometre gust and a reminder that we do have a full moon tonight. For city power, supplying power homes in the CBD and the inner, inner suburbs. And remember to this summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au forward slash notify. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on right now. Welcome back to the show. Been so much going on in the world of sport uh, with the Australian Open and the BBL final last night. And we've had a host of topics on the show so far. We haven't spoken much about the second test, which gets underway at the Gabba today. Just saw a photo from Dan Cherney, who's up there for Code Sports. Looks like a beautiful day in Brisbane, even though the forecast might change from day three. So just a reminder from 2pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time today, Join Jared Waitley. Damien Fleming, Ian Healy and the team for every ball of the Brisbane day night test live from the Gabba, of course, on the app too. You can follow the series between India and England, which is just about to get underway. Another big part of our team, of course, SEN test cricket is Bharat Sundarayson. And he spoke with Steve Smith uh, yesterday in the build-up to his second
11: test as Australian opener. Uh, Steve Smith, thank you so much for speaking to SCN test cricket. Uh just just one week out from uh, you having started your new career as a test opener, mm-hmm. uh, what did you think of your first uh, couple of outings uh, and just about test opening itself?
10: Uh, no, it was it was good fun. Um, you know, obviously I couldn't get through um, Shamar's first ball, um, you know, hadn't faced him before, saw a bit on the, the vision and... What the vision showed me was that he actually brought the ball back in, so it kind of drew me in potentially to a shot that I probably normally wouldn't play, but, um, you know, I've had a look at him now, so hopefully better for the run, I suppose. And then second innings was tough, I think, as an opener. It's probably the worst time to bat um, when you only need 20 to, to win. That You're kind of on a hiding for nothing. There's not no real good that can sort of come of it. So um, having said that, it was nice to get through and be not out at the end, and... Um, Yeah, no,
11: I'm looking forward to this week. Was there anything about opening in Test cricket that kind of took you by surprise or uh, or just the whole experience, not just going out and batting, but uh, running off the field and padding up immediately, which I guess you're kind of used to at number four, but then running out again or all those aspects of just opening?
10: Uh, Nothing that sort of surprised me. Um, You know, I just had to pop off for one over at one point just to um, put my batting shoes on and tied my shoelaces to my socks um just so that was ready you know yeah. 10 minutes isn't a long time but um yeah that was pretty much
11: it uh, what about like when you're on the field especially when that last wicket partnership just uh, carried on uh, at what point do you start suddenly thinking about your batting as compared to say when you were at number four
10: uh, i'm probably thinking about it from seven or eight down which would be normal anyway really just a get a gauge of how I want to go about things and,
11: and what have you, but um, yeah, that's that's nothing new. Uh, and, and just batting with Usman Khawaja, was there any different, like at the top of the order as compared to the number of times you've done it uh, before? No,
10: nah, it was it was just the same, you know, I've got a um, a good uh, relationship with Uzi out in the middle, I think we, we, we play really well together, um, we've had some big partnerships over the time and um, yeah, it just felt like usual just we were no wickets down which was the the only change
11: Uh, and I mean I guess it's true regardless of where you bat Steve but especially as a test opener the fact that you know you can get a good one really early on and you get out was that also like one of the lessons you got as test opener one of the lessons I mean just as with the new ball you just can't get out like very early on like a lot of test openers do Uh, was that just also part of the whole learning process of being an opener Uh,
10: not really I, I don't really like to think about it that way um you know I just go out and play, and you know if if you happen to get a good one early, you know that can happen anywhere in the order so um yeah you know, I've got plenty of ducks batting at number four so there's no no uh no difference there really but um yeah it's uh it's all the
11: same to me. Uh, a pink ball lottery uh, He's <laughs> mentioned it a few times in the, in the nets yesterday I mean, Just just about the pink ball uh, I mean you've faced it a few times now uh, But different venue um, I guess even in terms of uh, How much night cricket we'll get here Will be different to what you get in Adelaide uh, Just about that, the, the, the challenge of facing the pink ball
10: Yeah, it can be difficult Particularly um, under lights When it, the ball's quite new It seems to obviously do a lot more So um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one The the pink ball sort of does some stuff that the the red one wouldn't do which kind of takes you by surprise um at times um but yeah you just got to play it and and do do as good as you can with it um you know i think it's a good spectacle for everyone so we you know try and do it as well as we can and you know australia's got a great record with it. i think we're 11 from 11 so um, we do a lot of things right and hopefully we can do that this week
11: uh, just about uh, the opposition, Steve. I mean, a lo- not a lot of people gave the West Indies any chance at all of making an impact, but at least with the ball, they seem to be more disciplined than what we saw last summer.
10: I think their bowlers are good. Um, you know, obviously they've got... alzarri um, has got good pace um, and, and some skill. Uh, kemar has got good skills. Um, Shamar, the new boy on the block. Good skills, good pace. Um, and, yeah, I think... They're a good attack, um, so yeah, we, we can never take it lightly.
11: And apart from uh, having you as his first test victim, Shamar also has a picture with you now uh, at the end of the test.
10: <laughs> yeah, we had a picture. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, his first test wicket. Like, I think I'm plenty of people's first test wicket. <laughs> so, um, yeah, hopefully uh, I can get on top of him this week.
11: Uh, oh, just a couple of newsy things on I mean, Travis Head. Um, as. T- it's cleared He just walked past us now uh, Cam Green has tested uh, positive So has Andrew McDonald But they will participate in the game I guess we thought COVID has gone But it's just back right And you just have to kind of, kind of Move on from it
10: Yeah obviously glad We can sort of play through it um, So those guys are feeling okay I think um, And there, there's no real dramas there So it's uh, business as usual Just a bit of isolation at certain times
11: uh, And finally just another hit right now And straight into the test
10: yeah, I'll go for a hit in a minute and um, hopefully find some nice rhythm for, for tomorrow.
11: Beautiful, Steve Smith. Thank you so much. Easy.
0: Brad racing there with Steve Smith. Thanks to Henley's Mortgage Fund. $1,000 a month off your home loan for two years, all backed by Henley's $7 billion parent company. Now, stick around on afternoons. It's a shortened version today, 12 to 2 before the cricket starts. With Sam Hargraves. And just have a little think about what you think Steve Smith will make in the first innings. The boys on afternoons. Benny Lyon's in control. Sam Hargraves on air. They've got a $500 Odyssey putter to give away to the nearest to pin. Where's the prizes for mornings, I ask. He's on air for two hours. We're on air for three. Heap of callers. No prizes. Gee, they're lucky sometimes uh, in the afternoon. Uh, Ollie out the back would love the play. He's got the golf bug at the moment. He's been bitten hard. Uh, Just a few more off our 40 Wings temp. We've been talking about uh, accurate kicks, past and present your club. We spoke to Brendan Gale uh, earlier in the show about the Punt Road Classic, which has been launched. Tiger fans, get on the Richmond website. uh, If you're a player, if you're lucky enough to draw a player and he wins, $10,000 coming to you, $500 second prize. And if you've chosen just to have a player, you'll get a signed Sharon from that player. Uh, We've been asking, who do you trust from your club, past and present? Nick Larkey, fourth best goal accuracy with a minimum of 50 scoring shots in the VFL, AFL since 1965. at 73.46%. The Roos will win in, (laughs) John says, the Roos will win the premiership in 2029 on the 30th anniversary of their last one. Greg Williams, most accurate kick left or right anywhere on the ground and at goal full stop. He was very good. On the run, yes. Peter German. Former Kangaroo was very good on the run. Cats, uh, current Tyson Stengel passed. Paul Chapman, says Chris in Scoresby. Hey, Jules, current Freo player with good accuracy is Jaya Miss. That's ironic. And previous would be David Mundy, who was clutch after the siren a few times. Yeah, a couple of times against the Tigers, wasn't he? Cheers, Benny in Borwin. Andrew says, give me Kyle Ream kicking for goal from anywhere. Jake the Snake Melksham. From the past, Brad Green says Dane in Wellington. Yeah, Brad Green's coming through pretty strongly at the doggies. Uh, a lot of nominations for the dogs. Don't strike me as the most accurate team in the competition. Cody Waitman, ninety nine career goals, forty two points at seventy percent accuracy. Says J Dog and uh, a probably a Port fan here. Darren Jarman was very good, very very good. Jay Schultz was good and currently for Port Adelaide, uh, Todd Marshall. Is also coming through. Uh, Steve Kuyper, not too far away. Plenty to talk about uh, in the world of golf. Nick Dunlap, the amateur winning earlier this week. Lucas Herbert has joined Cam Smith's Ripper GC in the Live Golf Tour. Tommy Fleetwood, he knocked an offer back. And also, the Farmers Insurance open at Torrey Pines uh, about to get underway. Had a magnificent record there, the Australians. 17 of the last 18 at Torrey Pines. And Aussie has finished in the top 10. And we've had two winners, Jason Day and Mark Leishman. So uh, potentially an exciting tournament ahead from the Australian contingent. So we'll speak to Steve Kuypert about that very shortly. But for now, let's get to the, na- the newsroom with Nathan Gardner. Another big day on SEN Day 1 of the second test at the Gabba and then the Australian Open semifinals for the women tonight. Uh, you can hear it all on SEN. And uh, make sure you keep across the app as well. If you want to hear from the test match, First test of five between India and England. That's also on the SEN app. But certainly the big story today in terms of footy has been the departure of Simon Lean as the St Kilda CEO, effective immediately. Tom Morris from Channel 9 broke the story and he joined Sam Edmund and Kane Corns on breakfast.
8: I think we all know that that there's been so many changes in St Kilda over the past 18 months, 24 months, and I reckon there's more to this story. So I'm still digging exactly why and how it's taken place. But um, the official line is it it is mutual. And uh, Simon Lethleen will depart St Kilda today and it'll be effective immediately. It's a significant change at this time of the year.
0: I sat next to Caroline Wilson on Footy Classified. It was in July, Tom, and she reported some disharmony between uh, Lethleen and Ross Lyon. At that stage, she said that Lethleen had denied it, but she was hearing strong speculation that the coach and the CEO weren't as aligned as they should have been, which was a concern to her. So clearly there's more to this.
8: Yeah, I, I mean, my understanding of the situation is that Leslie and Ross Lyon didn't butt heads. They just didn't have much of a relationship. They didn't really cross paths. They didn't really um, work together too closely. Um, so it depends what sort of relationship you want your CEO and coach to have. I think a collaborative one is one where they're constantly talking and constantly negotiating and communicating. That wasn't this relationship. Um, mm. This is not to say that they, that they really disliked each other. I just don't think there was much there between the two. And I've got no doubt that Ross Lyon um, has put his stamp on the club in a number of ways, hasn't he? I mean, Nick Walsh, we reported last year, um, the fitness boss departed. Um, Jared Ruffhead and Chris toshe two, rec- two recruiters and list management officials have departed. The whole medical team's been cleaned out. Um, this is not to say that Ross has done all of that, but uh, it's no coincidence that as soon as Ross comes in, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people that leave for varying circumstances, and I guess Simon late. the latest one.
0: That was Tom Morris from Channel 9 on Breakfast this morning with Sam Edmund and Kane Corns. We'll follow that story throughout the day. Uh, SEN Track's got a golf day at the moment uh, out at Club Mandalay. Uh, there's plenty of footage going around on the SEN Track uh, Twitter page. Some of the golf being played out there is disgraceful, let's be honest. David Taggart's swing, horrendous. Gareth Hall could not play golf to save himself. Miles, not too bad. Sunk a couple of putts. But if you're driving near Club Mandalay, be careful. You might get a ball through the windscreen. Some of the golf is absolutely horrendous out there. Let's get a breakaway and talk some proper golf with Steve Kopp. But also, as one uh, mentioned here, Peter off the 40 Wings Temper, a mattress like no other. Ash Barty playing in the New Zealand Open. Very nice golfer, Ash Barty. I think she plays off about four... Uh, but uh, she's going to make, you know, just keep the competitive juices flowing uh, by playing in the New Zealand Open. I think Ricky Ponting is playing in that tournament as well. We'll speak to Steve Kuypert from Australian Golf Digest uh, magazine on the other side of the break.
2: History in the desert. For the first time since 1991, an amateur is won on the PGA Tour. Nick Dunlap wins the American Express. Wow.
1: It's definitely got a good ring to it. Um, I will say that. But um, it's, you know, everything that, that I dreamed of. And um, just to have a chance in the last hole to um, to win a PGA Tour event is, is really special. Of course. Um, everybody's got doubts. Um, you know, I, I probably had a thousand different scenarios in my head of how today was going to go, and um, it went nothing like I expected. Um, and I think that's the that was the cool part about it. That's, that's golf, and um, you know I hit a lot of shots that I didn't think I was gonna hit, and then you know I, I hit some shots that didn't uh, went way better than I expected, and, and you know the same thing with with putting. And um, like I said, I just think that's the that's the cool part of golf.
0: Extraordinary story. We were following it on Monday morning as it unfolded. Nick Dunlap winning as an amateur, the first on the US PGA Tour since Phil Mickelson way back in 1991. Plenty happening in the world of golf, so we thought it was a good time to check in with Steve Kuypert from Australian Golf Digest. Uh, Morning, Steve. Morning, Julian. How are you? Very well. Uh, Extraordinary performance uh, from Nick Dunlap. Just, Just interested, has there been... We always hear that a lot of buzz around the the best amateurs coming through, coming through the U.S. college system. Had there been a lot of buzz about Nick before this tournament?
7: Maybe not directly before this tournament, but certainly last year winning the U.S. amateur. um, I mean, that's obviously in many cases regarded as the biggest amateur tournament in the world, and so the winner there automatically gets a little notoriety. But uh, he he was the first um, since Tiger Woods, um to win the u.s junior and u.s amateur so he was he was joining elite company and he's now gone past tiger because that was one thing tiger didn't do mm-hmm. was win a pga tour event as an amateur so he's you know it's early days but he's, he's in front of tiger at the moment so yeah it, it's funny from our point of view in australia we often hear some names coming through the u.s college system and and you know they might win the u.s amateur or something like that but often um you know they kind of flame out or don't quite make it but uh this this guy um, Nick Dunlap certainly seems like he's he's the most likely um, to really make a goal of it um, just purely because yeah that's rarefied um, territory you know, to win and as an amateur on the PGA Tour you know 1991 um, you've only got to think back to what the world looked like and what the <laughs> world of golf looked like it's a long time ago
0: it's a very long time ago so what does this do for him in the short term does it change his path to becoming a professional what how does it sort of change his I guess, his golfing schedule over the next 12 months or so?
7: Yeah, it's a good question because he would have had something in mind Because uh, already because uh, winning the US Amateur gave him exemptions directly into the Masters this year, uh, the US Open and, and the British Open as well. Um, but they would have been based on him still being an amateur at the time. Um, now, however, as um, a PGA Tour winner... He would get into the Masters off the back of winning this week anyway. He would get into the PGA Championship if he turned pro. uh, And likely he's not going to lose these exemptions that he already had. He's probably just going to get them a different way. And so it it might just fast forward his thinking a little bit. Um, He's pulled out of this week's stop um, in San Diego. um, And I think it was partly... Because he's probably sitting down with his team and sort of saying, okay, this changes things. So They, they might have thought he'd turn pro at the end of this year um, once those exemptions had passed. But maybe they're kind of going, do we go now? You know, he, he's going to be at his most marketable from an endorsement point of view. Why kind of miss the boat? Um, but then again, he might go the other way and say, look, I've committed to university, my studies, and obviously the, you know, the University of Alabama where he plays his college golf would be expecting him to play through their spring and summer. Uh, does he want to let them down? So that's probably what they're sitting down and weighing up, is do we change the time frame of the decision we were already
0: going to make? And if you're going to finish second in a tournament, that's the one to finish second to in terms of prize money. And, and oh, his name escapes me. The, 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 man, the young man that finished second, he's got an extraordinary tail himself, where as a, as a kid, he swallowed some rat poison.
7: Yep. Yes, that's right. Christiane Bezadenhout uh, from South Africa, um yes exactly right had a had a terrible stutter as a child and almost used golf as a bit of a, an escape um you know you hear that story from time to time golf actually becomes a bit of a um you know a safe haven for um for aspiring um players because you know something else is going on in their life and they use golf to kind of get past it but uh yeah well you're right it was a, it was almost the best best tournament to come second in uh because you get the first place money <laughs> Um, but he probably would have liked the trophy as well. So, yeah, but you, you're spot on. He, you know, Not often you get paid $1.5 million for coming second.
0: So Lucas Herbert, uh, just changing tact a little bit. He's off to live. He's joining uh, Cam Smith's team on Live Golf. Is this one that had been bubbling away for a while, or was this a bit of a surprise when it was announced?
7: No, i sort of been hearing that a little bit um, for the last little while, because partly because there were vacancies.
0: We knew that um, Jed
7: Morgan wasn't, you know, he'd lost his spot on live. So if it was, if, if the Ripper GC um, team was going to stay All-Australian, which, you know, it made sense to, we, we were aware that there were vacancies. Um, Matt Jones played his way back on. Um, but, we, you know, we were aware that one Aussie kind of had to go and it was just a matter of who it was. Herbert seemed like a pretty good fit. Um, and so not a great surprise. But, yeah, as I said, it, it was going to be somebody. And so yeah lucas probably is the you know the right mold in terms of age and and you know what he's done on both the p g a tour and and d p world tour um to date um he's got some sort of security there um you know depending on what happens obviously in in the negotiations that are going on at the moment um, it's it's so murky but uh Yeah, probably if you were sitting down trying to work out which Aussie would fill the vacant spot on the roster, um, Lucas was probably close to the top of the list.
0: So what does Jed Morgan do now? Where where does he go and play his golf?
7: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, You know, he becomes a little bit of the forgotten man in a way. Um, I believe he he may still have some uh, opportunities to play in Asia. Um, He's certainly fine at home. You know, it was only two years ago um, that he won the... Australian PGA Championship so he's, he's got exemptions there um, and I believe in, the, in Europe too he, he would get some starts um, off the back of that as well so the European Tour or DP World Tour as it's now known um, has been less harsh with live players um, you know jumping across and so as an ex-Liv player I would think Jed would probably get some starts there.
0: Speaking of Steve Kuypert from Australian Golf Digest, I guess it got a little bit lost uh, with because uh, of what Nick Dunlap did on the US PGA Tour, but it was quite a remarkable win from Rory McIlroy in Dubai, coming from 10 shots back. Given he's sort of been the, the face of, the, I guess, the anti-live campaign, Is it how much do you think it's affected his actual golf the last two years? He seems to have taken on a lot.
7: Yes, I don't see how it can't affect... Uh, things you know he he clearly you know he, he's one of the best if not the best golfers in the world and he wasn't performing that way and clearly was distracted and it actually did reach a point early last year where you know I, th- I think he he recognized the impact it was having on his game and on his play and so he clearly said to himself I just need to distance myself from everything that's going on away from the golf course and we've since seen that uh, go even further where he's resigned from the PGA Tour policy board he's really concentrating on his golf as much as he can. I mean, he's he's 34 now, I think 35 in May. Um, so he's right in that sort of sweet spot that they often talk about the mid-30s um, in professional golf. And this year marks 10 years since he last won a major, uh, which, you know, if you'd said that 10 years ago, it would have surprised a lot of people. And he probably feels like the door's starting to close just a little bit. And so he needs to make these next five years the best that he can be um, as a golfer, um, if he really wants to get to where it looked like he was going to be. But, uh, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. There's no question he was distracted and it, it impacted his play a bit. But then again, you know, it, it's not like he's played terribly either. So it goes to show what a, what a level of golfer he is when you can kind of knuckle down and concentrate
0: purely on the game. And, Steve, before we let you go, in the States this weekend, Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. It's been a good tournament for the Aussies. 17 of the last 18 years, we've had an Australian finish in the top 10 uh, Jason Day and Mark Leishman have both won the tournament uh, of the Aussies this week. Who do you like? Yeah, well,
7: they're actually already underway. It's an interesting tournament, um, partly because of American football. They play this one. The last few years has been Wednesday to Saturday, which I mean, converts to effectively Thursday to Sunday for us. So the first round is actually over there. Um, Jason's shot a couple over, but it's a, it's a hard tournament to gauge because they play two courses in the first two days, and he played the hard course to get the easier course tomorrow. Um, but yeah, he would have been my pick coming in, partly because he's just got an amazing record around Torrey Pines. Uh, even when he doesn't win, he seems to play pretty well there. But yeah, you, you're right. It's, um, you know, the tournament that seems to always fall around Australia Day, and there seems to be a synergy, is a golf course that I think our players kind of feel comfortable with as well. And so that's why I've got a great record there. But um, not a huge contingent um, playing this week, although Minwoo Lee is there and um, has started with an even par round, which isn't too bad. So... Yeah, I, w- I would say he's likely to be our best bet. But it's a tournament that's always worth watching because, as you say, there's, there seems to be a heavy Aussie involvement uh, each year.
0: Yeah, CAU at top of the leaderboard at eight under Aaron Baddeley, the best of the Aussies in the first round, shooting a three under. Steve, always great to catch up. Plenty going on uh, in the world of golf. We'll speak again soon. Terrific. Thanks, Jules. Steve Kuypert from Australian Golf Digest. One more break to get away before Sammy Hargraves jumps in. He's got prizes galore, including a $500 Odyssey putter to get or give away. So get thinking, what's Steve Smith going to make in the first innings for the Aussies? Nominate closest to the pin, pardon the pun, will win the Odyssey putter. This is Mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now.